Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationships. I'm here with my good friends and colleagues, Wendy Conquest, Dan Drake, Tim Stein, and I'm Jeannie Vitoni. And uh, as Tim and the group has been saying in the last couple episodes, that we let our listeners send in questions that they wanted us to tend to. And so we have a nice big fat list to address. And Tim's going to be the moderator for today, but of course he'll he'll put his two thoughts and two cents in there at any time. <laughs> um, but he's got the list, and he'll put so... his foot in his mouth. Is that what you were saying? <laughs> Try to keep my foot out of my mouth. That's not <laughs> successful. <laughs> so it's the four of us um, addressing these questions. Okay, here we go from the mailbag. What is the difference between an addict? and someone who is sexually active. All right. That's a great question. Mm -hmm. Great question and a lot of differences. Who wants to play with this one? <laughs> we'll just sit here and stare at each other, I guess, is what we're going to do. <laughs> well, I'll just say, I think our field is, our the, the mental health field is split on this question. So I don't think there is a universal answer to it because we have so many different definitions. Um, I'll just say, I think one of the biggest hallmarks it, about an addiction, it's not really about the frequency of behaviors. It's not, you know, again, not how much someone does something or the behaviors themselves necessarily that creates the addiction. It's, does it create com, com is, is it something that someone's doing, uh, creates negative consequences for them? Does their preoccupation and obsession with it? They lose control over the behaviors. To me, those are, those are hallmarks of an addiction. What else would you guys add? I was thinking yeah, I, ICD and the new diagnosis that's coming our way of compulsive sexual behavior and how that's going to create a unifying definition. I would also say to the listeners of, hey, there's lots of other podcasts that we have about what is sex addiction. And so please do check that out as well. Wendy? Yeah, Jeannie's referring to when she says the DSM, she's referring to the diagnostic manual for mental health um, disorders. And so right now there is um, a code for alcoholism, for compulsive gambling, for compulsive eating, but there isn't a code yet for uh, a sex addiction as such. So the right, is that what you were referring to? I was referring to the ICD. Oh, ICD, sorry. Which is the Diagnostic World Health Organization. Control from the World Health Organization that eventually will get into our DSM, which is the American version, the manual of diagnoses. So oh, great. But okay. that, that unifying question. I, I would go with what Dan said, compulsivity, obsessive, loss of time, continuation despite consequences. There's all different pieces to what makes an addiction versus right. a behavior one engages with. Right. This, this, yeah, this has come up a, a, a lot recently is um, I don't know if I'm a sex addict. I don't know if sex addiction is actually a thing. And so I've come back around to these folks and just said, look, I don't care what we call it. Listen, I, I don't care what we call it. Is it harming you? Uh, dovetailing on what Dan said, is it harming you? Is it harming others? Is it a behavior you've tried to stop and you can't stop? Is it, is it um, in the frequency because 
it can come in spurts, right? It can it can come on just weekends or intermittently. Uh, so that's one of the confusing parts about this phenomenon. And but the biggest piece is: is it causing you harm? Is it causing others harm? I think. And do you want to stop? So call it whatever you want. Um, what was the term they asked? Sex addiction versus what is sexually it? Sexually active. It's sexually active. So a lot of people are sexually active. <laughs> it works for them and it's fine. So um, people are can, can be polyamorous. And if that that type of lifestyle works for them and everything's okay and everyone's okay, okay. That And that's to me, I think a key thing. Most addicts, most addicts keep their sexual behaviors hidden. There's a secrecy piece of it. There's a, a shame that's involved or, or at least they don't want to be found out. So it's not overt. It's not, or it's not expressed, you know, it's not in the relationship and they've discussed it as a, as a, you know, dyad or couple it's, it's stuff that was done non-consensually. Consent and secretive. So next question. If we, if, if somebody gets labeled as a sex addict, is that just giving them an excuse? Is that just sort of giving someone a pass for behaving badly? I hear that question a lot. I'm glad I, that question got asked. I would say absolutely no. As soon as somebody takes on, you know, says I'm a sex addict, that's where the real work begins. If it's I'm a sex addict and this is just who I am and I'm not going to do anything about it, well, then there's choices to be made. Mm -hmm. But identifying is the beginning. I've heard I people say. say that if if it's a sex addiction, then somehow I'm absolved from responsibility. Or or partners often fear if it's a sex addiction, then it's a disease and that person is no longer responsible, question mark. And I would say everyone is always responsible for their behavior at all times. And so whether it's an addiction or not an addiction, someone is still, if there's a betrayal, for example is still responsible for the their part of that betrayal experience. Um, I will I say, I, I've, I've also heard this come up uh, about 12 steps in general that, well, if somebody's an addict, you're just, it's just a bunch of addicts sitting around giving themselves permission for, for what they've done in the past. And, and I will say as somebody who spent plenty of time in the rooms of 12 step meetings of group therapy, of individual therapy, that when somebody steps into that community as an addict and is seeking recovery. There's nothing about it that's an excuse for anything that happened. If anything, it's stepping into responsibility for it. And um, my experience is people who step into 12-step meetings or other processes looking for an excuse, don't stay long. I will say, I think what gets tricky is the it's the bigger high-profile cases that everybody sees. And then it's it's used as a way of kind of eliciting sympathy or that this this person it kind of portrays this person as a victim as opposed to the one taking responsibility i think that's where i, I i've just seen these these bigger high profile things get confusing i can imagine out there because then the message is they're an addict so poor poor so and so and of course that's not what we're saying and that's usually coming from either their marketing team or their own uh sense of narcissism Right. Which brings us to our next question in the mailbag. Nice Are transition. All addicts narcissists or sociopaths? Wait, wait, wait. Say that whole question again. Are all addicts narcissists? No. Or sociopaths? No. 
Okay, I'm done. I answered. <laughs> Inactive addiction. No, people are self-serving and they're, the addiction wants to live. The addiction wants to flame. The addiction wants to continue. And so it's a very self-serving experience. I am therefore selfishly to continue the addiction. But I don't know that that's true narcissism until we can get some sobriety and recovery in the mix. And then you see if true narcissism is there. I think that's a good distinction. Narcissism versus narcissistic traits. Someone in active addiction, I do think acts narcissistic because it is very selfish, self-serving, even if it's as a coping strategy, we can talk about the whys and all that, but Mm -hmm. I think you're right. We, is that full narcissistic personality disorder for everybody? I don't think so. I think sometimes this comes down to a language issue, which is what we have the narcissistic personality disorder, which all addicts do not meet that criteria. But if you think about the the general meaning of narcissism, which is I'm mostly focused on myself, I think addicts and active recover and active addiction have that narcissism trait or that self-centered trait. So let's address the sociopath part. It, the other half of the question was, are addicts sociopathic? So let's do a little general education. Sociopathic is when a person doesn't have interest, care for the other at all, right? There's a detached connection. There is no connection to consequences or emotional relationship. And isn't that how partners feel about their significant others? Right. Is that how they feel? Is that how they feel at the time or is that how they feel now? So let's get back to sociopathic, our addicts sociopathic. Wendy, thoughts? Well, first of all, with most addictions, there's a, a co coexisting um, something. So it's interesting because with the narcissistic part, I'm finding that a lot of addicts are on the autistic spectrum. There are addicts on the autistic spectrum. I'm not going to say I don't have a, a ratio or a percentage, but I'm seeing it more. And so when you are... Um, neurodiverse, um, a lot of times there isn't that relational component. And so people can seem very self-centered. So, so what are we looking at? Um, I would say that once someone's in recovery from sex addiction, then you start to see layers of that person And so if someone's in active recovery and they're still very self-centered, narcissistic, then I start getting curious about what, what else is going on here. I think that, I think there's a piece that with all of these things is what becomes the general trait that, that exists beyond, you know, throughout their life in all areas. Like when we talk about narcissism, are addicts narcissistic exclusively throughout their life that's usually not my experience with addicts are they narcissistic when they're addict when when their addiction is active and they're sort of like in that mode of acting out or 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 seeking to act out i think that i think there's definitely a narcissism trait there same thing with the sociopathy are most addicts sort of disconnected and uninterested in other people around them i don't think that that's true as a general statement in all areas of their life when their addiction is up and they're looking to act out 
do they tend to see the people they're acting out with as objects, whether they're consciously aware of that or not. I think that that's often true. So there are aspects of narcissism and sociopathy that show up for addicts when their addiction is up and running. But I don't think that that is true across the board for them as an individual. Well, and I'll, so certainly sometimes you'll see when people are active in their addiction, they come back to the relationship and they're very sweet and they're very loving and they're very, you know, trying to be attentive, I would say, out of guilt or shame. Uh, and then when they, the addiction is in, in remission, sometimes they become quite nasty. So this, this is a tough question. Uh, but but overall answer I would say is are are sex addicts narcissists? I would say no, not in the truest sense. Sense are they psychopaths? No, um, I don't think a psychopath is gonna uh, knock on wood, right? Like enter my office. Hopefully not. <laughs> well, it was actually sociopath, but I mean they're similar. Oh, psychopaths aren't really interested in other people. Psychopaths are only interested in themselves. I think we've only had one one of those folks in what the last 14 15 years yeah okay how last do... question by the way because we're going to need to wrap up soon okay i want to do two questions <laughs> last question is two <laughs> all right well let's see what happens sir <laughs> how do i know if my if my addict partner is in recovery or white knuckling good question that's okay. a great question Good question. All right. So the difference between recovery versus white knuckling. I think recovery requires lots of action. Lots of going to meetings, lots of going to therapy, lots of meeting with other people who um, are balanced individuals. Uh, I think recovery is action where in my mind, white knuckling is the absence of. It's just the holding on bear and get through it kind of a thing. What do you guys think? I, I'm just going to boil it down to maturity. Maturity. Someone in active recovery has done the emotional work to kind of emotional developmental, whatever work to grow themselves up. So they're going to show up differently and you'd see it. How would you see it? <sighs> I don't want to make blanket statements, but <laughs> Hopefully that over time, I'm going to do the defensiveness starts to go down. The openness uh, starts to, to openness to the partner's experience or to others. They're more available. They're less irritable all the time. They're um, more present and available. They're, they're, you know, I guess not acting like a teenage boy as much anymore. I know I that's a little bit blanket reactive, statement, less reactive less, less rea and less personalization. And not just being. Because I've had people do all those things that you said, Jeannie, and be kind of the the good good student, mm -hmm. but they're not really. They're just getting the A score, you know, the, the gold star, and they're not really doing the work. And you don't see you don't see it show. You feel a difference with someone. That's I can't really. Uh, maybe you guys can and help I me think, with that. I it think feels different because the time to develop. You know, because often how many times of our clients they're using our words when they start out with better communication or something, which is always a phase of development. So it's maybe showing up with depersonalization and less reactivity and more openness over time. Cause then it deepens into be a skill within them to develop that maturity. What do you think, Dan? Yeah. 
Well, and I think what, what, we're done. <laughs> stopping a behavior is one part of it. What am I living for? You know, how am I living and showing up in the world? I feel like that's that become I become a different person. I show up in the world in a different way if I'm in recovery versus just stopping a behavior. I can stop doing something, but that doesn't make me any different. Is this like, where you do the mic drop thing? Well, perfect mic drop. Although I have one more question. And here, <laughs> here is the final question of today's mailbag. Okay, I, I give it to Wendy. Oh no, Wendy gets it. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can sex addicts actually recover? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that the brain has neuroplasticity. And so we know that we can rewire those neural pathways. And so, I, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think that change was possible why why would i why would i be even doing this work if i didn't believe in that and I, if i didn't see it and and so i have certainly seen many many addicts that change and it's hard work hard work hard external work hard internal work but yeah absolutely absolutely agreed there's the mic drop <laughs> that's the Wendy Whip mic drop well thank you everyone for joining us in our Q&A questions and answers please do keep them going and Tim what's that email that they need to send their their questions to send your questions on anything to <laughs> conversations.sar at gmail.com thank you sir so send questions and comments to that email and we will receive and go through it. And then we're going to be having additional Q&A type of episodes. So maybe your question will get answered in one of those. And if Thank you've you. already submitted questions and it didn't get answered today, we haven't forgotten about you. We will answer them in the future. Thank you very much. And do all the likes that you need on all the different platforms and share it with a safe friend or a safe someone that you know would appreciate these episodes. And thanks for being with us today. Bye-bye.